Welcome to session 32 of the Bible in a Year Commentary. If you started this series on the 1st of January, then today should be the 1st of February. Congratulations on completing one month of the Bible in a year. Just 11 more to go. Today, we'll be looking at Leviticus 8 to 10 and Psalm 32. But so far in Leviticus, we've seen the introduction into the world of ritual and sacrifice. These play a key aspect in the Israelites affirming their relationship with God. These offerings, each with a unique purpose, are not just rituals, but declarations that the Israelites are committed to their God. We started with a burnt offering, where an animal is entirely consumed by fire. This act isn't actually about sin, but symbolises a voluntary approach to God. The smoke represented his presence. Following this was the grain offering. It was like bringing food to share with God. Next was the peace offering. This celebrated and acknowledged the existing harmony and the Israelites could enjoy with God. Then came the sin offerings. These were exclusively for unintentional sins. They covered various scenarios like neglecting duties or accidental contamination of holy spaces. From there, we read about the priests' role in these rituals. They were to be modest in their worship, dressing appropriately. We saw how this contrasted with the rituals of their neighbouring nations that often brought sex into their sacrifices. These priests were to keep a perpetual fire on the altar, symbolising God's constant presence with them. We also saw the priests enjoying eating some of the offerings. This showed their intimate relationship with God, but was also there to model for the rest of Israel the intimacy they were being led into. These were the early equivalents of the Christian practice of communion, where all believers share in a sacred meal, united and equal before God. So let's jump in with Leviticus 8 to 10. The tabernacle has been built. We've learned how to do the offerings. It's now time for those that are going to be working in God's presence, the priests, to be prepared. And the process is thorough. First, they are washed with water. Great focus was to be made to the hands and the feet. This was to make them physically clean. Their hands as they go around touching the different items in the tabernacle, and their feet as they walk on holy ground. They are then dressed in all the right clothing prepared for them. Moses anoints Aaron with oil. This was to give him official status as the high priest. During this time, kings and priests were anointed with oil to appoint them to their roles. And finally, Offerings and sacrifices are made for Aaron and his sons to cleanse them of the contamination of their sin. They were washed clean physically and now they are washed clean morally and spiritually. Moses then tells them to wait by the entrance to the tabernacle in God's presence for seven days. Once the seven days are up, the people of Israel gather together and the priests make the very first offering and sacrifices for the people. We see mention of the sin offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering and even the wave offering. The priests perform each of these offerings and God's presence comes before the people. After all this preparation to make sure everything is perfect, the priests have finally done their first offerings and God is pleased. But the next chapter is a sad one. Just when you think things are looking up, two of Aaron's sons decide to mix things up. Rather than use the incense that they've been told to use, they choose their own incense. Remember how meticulously we prepare the tabernacle, everything in it and the priests. Remember how everything has to be perfect for God's presence to dwell in the tabernacle. Well, these two decide to do things differently, and God strikes them now. It's a sad moment, just as the relationship between God and his people are restored, like in the Garden of Adam and Eve. These two sons decide to do things their way instead of God's way. And like Adam and Eve, the penalty is death. What's noteworthy is one of the rules that comes out after this happens. Aaron is told that he and his descendants are not to drink before entering the tabernacle. It may have been the case that his two sons were drunk 
And that's what led them to behave the way they did. But either way, let's jump into Psalm 32. This psalm is attributed to King David and falls into the category of thanksgiving. Though it could have also been considered a wisdom psalm. The main focus of the psalm is the psalmist thanking God for how good it is when we confess our sins. However, it could be argued that more than that, it is meant to be a psalm of wisdom to us, telling us to confess our sin. Here is a summary of the structure, but I would recommend checking out the written version of this commentary in the description to see the structure properly for yourself. And so we start with verses 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose sins removed. Verses 3 to 5, a personal testimony of repentance. Verses 6 to 7, those who don't hide their sins can hide in the Lord. Verses 8 to 9, Yahweh will teach his people. And then finally, verse 10 to 11, the upright are glad and rejoice in the Lord. The psalm starts with the declaration that blessed are those whose sins are forgiven and no longer counted by God. The psalmist shares their experience with not confessing their sin. It was like their very bones were wasting away. They could almost feel the weight of God pressing down upon them. So the psalmist confessed their sin. They no longer tried to cover it. Because of this, God forgave them of their sin. When we compare Psalm 32 verse 1 and Psalm 32 verse 5, we can see that when we make the choice not to cover or hide our sin, God covers it for us. Reflecting on this, the psalmist then encourages everyone who is holy to confess their sin. The great waters, which we know embody all that is chaotic, will not overcome those who confess to the Lord. For those that don't hide their sin, God will be a hiding place for them. He will preserve them and keep them. The psalm then changes perspective, as though God has entered the conversation. God leans in and tells the psalmist or the reader that he will instruct and teach them. This teaching won't be simple. Do this, don't do that. Like someone who leads a stubborn mule or horse. It will be wisdom that allows you to understand what you do and how to make good decisions. Returning to the psalmist, the psalmist now ends in praise. The sins of the wicked will bring sorrow upon their head, but the Lord is faithful and loving to those who trust in him and confess their sins to him. He will be a source of joy to them. From this psalm, we learn the importance of repentance. While it might be tempting to try and hide our sins from God, we can trust him with our mistakes and he will lead us into righteousness and joy.